Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Unsane in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. Unsane is the new film uh, from director Steven Soderbergh, starring Claire Foy, Joshua Leonard, Jay Farrow, and Juno Juno Temple, among others. It is noteworthy as a film that was shot only on an iPhone, and it's Steven Soderbergh, who is a relatively... um, big name at this point, you know, with The Crown, and uh, she was in Breathe last year with uh, Andrew Garfield, and she's, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if I would go as far to say that she's like a hot commodity as in, in the acting world, but she has certainly become nearly a household name at this point, and so Unsane is really the first chance, in my opinion, that she's had to kind of showcase her 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 extensive acting talents in a movie as opposed to a Netflix series. <clears throat> um, for reference, I think uh, I don't like. I think I've seen like two movies of hers, maybe less. Three. This is the fourth of hers. Um, she was in Rosewater, which is the John Stewart movie from a couple of years ago, uh, but I, I don't think she plays a terribly large role, but Unsane is, uh, like, it's a very frustrating story, particularly the first, like, 30 to 40 minutes of it, as you watch her recognize that there's something wrong with her, uh, she had a stalker, has a stalker, who she continues to see, uh, you know, there's a scene, she goes out, she picks up a guy, brings him home, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's not that the guy is the stalker, but she she sees the stalker when she looks at him. And so she sends him away, and then she's like, look, I gotta talk to somebody about this. So she goes and she talks to somebody, and you know, good. She is rational enough to recognize that she is um, in need of help and assistance. And she does, she goes to talk to somebody, and in doing so, the conversation that she has briefly touches on suicide and ultimately it winds up she winds up kind of involuntarily accepted into this mental hospital and it's not terribly obvious what's real and what isn't you know she keeps seeing the stalker but we're not sure if he's there or not because uh, you know, we're not totally sure if she's the most sane narrator or, or if she is un or insane. Uh, she seems completely competent and cogent quite often, but there are plenty of times where her actions do seem a little out of the ordinary. You know, she is quite violent <laughs> a lot of the time, but I, you know, you're in this sort of circumstance, you're surrounded by other people who have some varying level of mental problems themselves, and you're bound to react in a way that 
you probably wouldn't normally react in. And so the film progresses from that point with her, on the one hand, trying to get out of this mental institution that she finds herself in, and also try to escape the visions or maybe actual um, either, either escape the visions of her stalker that she keeps seeing or to get away from the actual stalker that it might be you know we're not sure um, at first if he's really there or not or if that's who like we see the guy and we're not sure if that's who the stalker is or not if that's not if what she's seeing or if it's what it really is or if just somebody looks like him or, or you know a lot of question marks early on and honestly the film does a good job of putting you on edge it's it's you know it has the conceit of being all shot on an iphone but i don't think that that makes it any more or less viable as a film i think this what that functions as is a way to put the camera in a position that makes the world feel gritty and grimy it gives us the opportunity to kind of like you can set the phone presumably the iphone that he used to record it on a desk uh, and just not have to you know it, it gives you that additional variability you know it's very tiny it's easy to maneuver and position and i think i at least i noticed a lot of situations where that came up and i i think the film was better for it i don't know if i'm sure you could have shot this film uh on traditional lenses with traditional cameras and traditional equipment and it would have come out relatively similar uh you probably would have had to do a couple extra tricks with the camera uh, to achieve some of the shots that he wanted to get, presumably. But it definitely probably made things easier, and I think adds a level of of connection between you and Claire Foy, who play whose character is named Sawyer. And the bottom line for me is that whether or not you like the story, uh, whether or not you appreciate the look at, you know, the the credibility of mental health institutions, it's all really about Claire Foy's performance. She is front and center uh, for about 95% of the film. She is the person we care about, the character who we see the most, and who gets the biggest moments in the film. Uh, there is a there's a scene in an in a solitary confinement uh, room that is brilliant and beautifully acted by Claire Foy. Probably my favorite scene there. Uh, but you know, outside of her, you have Juno Temple, who is kind of just out of her mind <laughs> in a great, great way. Uh, you have Joshua Leonard, who plays the presumed um, stalker, who is not really a household name. He's been in a few things. Uh, I most recently saw him in, I believe, if it's, I think I saw, I think it was him. Maybe it wasn't now that I'm looking at it. It wasn't him. Oh, okay. I, well, I saw him in. He was in the Blair Witch Project, which is kind of his first movie. 
but he's had roles in Hump Day, opposite Mark Duplass, uh, The Shaggy Dog with Tim Allen, uh, 2014's If I Stay with Chloe Grace Moretz. Um, so, I mean, he's he's had a couple of niche roles. And it's just, it's a film laced with anxiety and contemplation and fear in a really good way. And I think it pairs really well with something like A Quiet Place. Uh, it's not as horror bent as A Quiet Place definitely is. There's no creatures. It's, it's a human issue with human protagonists, human antagonists, human dilemmas. And unfortunately, it feels like a scenario that could definitely happen in the real world. Uh, you know, especially up to the point where she is committed into the mental institution. It always feels like, and I've seen a lot of movies where they have this sequencing, but, you know, if you are a sane person and you are, for one reason or another, perceived as not sane and put into a place where you are supposed to not be any, not be sane, there is nothing you can do at that point to convince somebody that you are sane. Because if you just accept what's happened, then they don't have to question it. They don't have to think about it. You have just accepted the reality of the situation. But if you protest, it's like protesting. It's, you know, it's like how everybody in prison says that they're innocent. Uh, you know, clearly, no, there's no possible way that every single person in jail is innocent. Uh, they're likely a small percentage that are, just like there are likely a small percentage of people in a mental institution that when they say they're not crazy, that they aren't. But how do you know? And not only that, but it's it's just, it's insanely frustrating to watch a character go through something like that where we know the truth, or at least we think we do, and the movie tries to get us to not feel confident in that assumption it tries to put us in a state of being where we enter the mental institution thinking okay yeah she's there are issues but she is a capable and, and competent person in her daily life she is able to make her own decisions she is able to think rationally and assess her own state of being and then the movie pushes you further and further down that line like well is she really can she really get past this if she keeps seeing her stalker how sane is she really and the movie does a great job of i don't know that it ever fully convinces me one way or the other uh the the ending the finale of the movie i thought is the most successful at putting her sanity up in the air but the majority of the film, I was pretty confident and um, I felt like I was able to kind of parse through all of those uncertain, potentially delusional um, aspects of the film and, and just kind of look at it and say, no, I, I know what's happening. Like, I know this character. I know where we're going. And I think for the most part, I was you know, I had hit the nail on the head. I don't think the film particularly surprised me very much. Uh, any potentially uh, mysterious elements I, I was fairly on top of, I think. Uh, 
the resolution of Juno Temple's character, I was expecting the situation involving uh, Jay Farrow, who is who plays the character of Nate, who is another patient in the mental institution that befriends um, Sawyer. I was pretty... I knew that. I figured that one out. And it's just... Uh, but it's just... It's well executed, and Claire Foy anchors the film brilliantly. V brilliantly. She is impeccable in this movie. Uh, definitely in my Best Actor nominees at the moment. Uh, she... I, I'm a, I'm quite behind in my statistics as far as uh, adding them to the spreadsheet. I've fallen a little bit behind. But she definitely makes that cut, uh, which will knock out Jennifer Lawrence for Red Sparrow. And uh, we're slowly, on the Circle of Film Awards, slowly reaching a point where I'm actually happy with every nominee. And I don't have these like token nominees in there that are only there because... Something has to be. Still a couple of those, but for the most part, we're moving away from that. As more and more of these films coming out that are actually decent to good. Which I think Unsane is. I think it's pretty good. I, Like I said, it's, it hasn't been accurately rated yet. I have it in the low 70s. Uh, three and a half stars on Letterboxd. So that would put it... I'm looking at last year... Puts it around something like uh, Beauty and the Beast, Spider-Man: Homecoming, Train Spotting 2, maybe Detroit or Hostiles. Um, Mudbound got a 72. It's in that range for me. I don't know if it'll go as high as a 73. If it does, that puts it on par with The Insult. Oscar nominee, The Insult, Okja, was a 73. And I'm Not a Witch, 73. So it's in that realm. I, I'm not 100% sure where. It's 72 is the most likely number to get it. But, yeah. Uh, it's a good film. And it gets, it goes places. <laughs> it definitely tries to tries to shock you I think a couple of times and I, personally I think it, it didn't quite succeed it came close but it didn't quite succeed the, in those moments but it was definitely really going for something and Soderbergh I, I you know I like this a lot more than I, I liked Logan Lucky I thought Logan Lucky was just fine just average fine but I uh, definitely really enjoyed Unsane which is the 23rd film of his that I've seen. That's so many. Uh, whew. Close to close to completing all of his movies. I don't have a lot left. Um, but yeah, that's insane. And I'm actually going to tag on to the end of this review another film review, if I may. Uh, and this one... Uh, so that's that's the review for Insane. I really enjoyed it. It's probably rushing out of theaters uh, very quickly, but if you do get a chance to check it out, I encourage you to do so. I think it's it's worth it's worth the look, uh, in my opinion. 
but before before we jump into the fantasy movie league update, uh, I just want to touch briefly on a film that's coming out this weekend. I got a chance to see it early, so otherwise I probably wouldn't have said anything. But you know, if you're interested in it, at least I can offer my brief opinion. Uh, so I got to see Rampage, the new Dwayne Johnson movie, uh, Monday night, and it's. I haven't seen any of the trailers, so I don't know what it's being marketed as or what what most people have seen from it. Suffice to say, um, three creatures are genetically altered, and the Rock has to take care of things. And as far as like a Rock movie goes, it gives you exactly what you want. It's the Rock doing epic, actiony, smoldery stuff, just like he did in Jumanji, except he's not really playing against type like he was in Jumanji. So I don't. I think the, the the feel and look of it isn't as good as Jumanji's was. The scale, however, is definitely greater than Jumanji. Uh, I would compare this to something like Kong Skull Island, which I do think was better. But Kong Skull Island had better effects. Uh, I think the mocap performances for the creatures in Kong, in, or at least for Kong in Skull Island, is better. Um, the mocapping for George in this movie was fine at best. It wasn't fantastic. And this movie, you know, the, the Malin Ackerman and Jake Lacey were awful. I thought they were terrible. And But on the other side, Numi Harris and Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I quite liked. Uh, I liked Numi Harris a lot. She did, you know, she was kind of... Dwayne Johnson's sidekick for most of the movie, but she does get a few moments where she's doing things on her own, which is good because that's what she needs and deserves as the secondary protagonist of the film. Jeffrey Dean Morgan is a cowboy in this movie, which shouldn't work, and every once in a while it doesn't, but a lot of the times, surprisingly, it really did work, and uh, that was interesting. So... It's, it's just a monster movie that is pure popcorn fun. You know, it, it's a little bit better than Pacific Rim Uprising, in my opinion. Um, I, I personally, I think it's a little bit better than Jumanji. But I was not super high on Jumanji per, uh, for what that's worth. Um... Yeah, so that's kind of my easy, simple, quick take on Rampage. I give it two and a half stars on Letterboxd, so somewhere in the low 50s is probably where it's going to shake out. And and I had fun. You know, the, the climactic scenes with all the creatures and, and destroying Chicago, you know, that's fun. It's, it's easier to decipher than a Transformers movie, which is how things should be. And... It was good. It was fun. It was it was a fun movie, and that's about all it needs to be. So that's where we stand with Rampage. Now let's move on from the, all this stuff into the uh, fantasy movie league update. Week six is gone and done with. 
it saw the opening of A Quiet Place, as well as a couple other movie, a couple other movies, including our best performer this weekend, which was Chappaquiddick. And that is one of the least played best performers we've had in quite some time. It uh, last week there were a total of 267 perfect cineplexes, which is kind of high, but still pretty surprising. Uh, you know, within the Cinerealist League, I think two people played even one screen of Chappaquiddick, uh, and so very little impact there. No one was able to reach $100 million uh, for the weekend, but we had four people in the $99 million, dollars to $800,000 range. Uh, Raman, Director's Cut, and Rybone led the way the weekend, Raman winning the uh, tiebreaker, uh, which is new. So there's new tiebreaker, and I guess I should keep an eye on this for some reason. Uh, it's a shame they don't really show it on the page, but uh, Raman's uh, tiebreaker was 48 million or so, and the actual earnings of A Quiet Place were 50 million. Uh, meanwhile, Director's Cut was off by a 14 million difference, and Rybone was off by a 15 million difference. So uh, close between the two of them for second and third, but uh, Rahman was the clear winner there. And then, and their lineups were A Quiet Place, A Screen of Blockers, which were in the PC, but instead of six screens of Chappaquiddick, they went five screens of Sherlock Gnomes and a screen of Tomb Raider, which was not quite good enough. Uh, Plexi doubled up on A Quiet Place, which forced uh, him to play three screens of Paul and three blanks. Uh, turns out that a screen of Chappaquiddick and Paul and four blanks would have been a slightly better decision, but who would have thought that Chappaquiddick would de so do so well? Uh, that being said, outside of the top five, there's a slight amount of shaking up happening uh, between some of the rankings there. Uh, Shawbin did quite well jumping back up into the top 10 this week. Uh, we also saw strong performances this weekend from The Drowned God and Sven Cinema, who both improved their standing with plus $90 million weekends. Two, two more new people added to the spreadsheet and added to the league this week. Uh, Modern Western, who did a very nice job with $82 million, and Roz Mellon, who came in with 35 But they're brand new. Uh, they'll have this about half of a season to really get the lay of the land. And then from there, move on to really contending in the summer 2018 season, which should be really fun and fascinating. No one has broken $600 million in our league at this point. Rahman in the lead with $595 million, which equates to 87% of a perfect season. Uh, that's pretty low. The lowest perfect season we've had for perfect season percentage we've had for someone who won is me the season i won which was 83 percent uh that's so so we are slowly approaching that level uh right now if you look at the overall season showdown stats the leader uh whose name is member fml who joined in february so, feels like it's an alt account from somebody. But, member FML is in the lead with $644 million. So, 
compared to so I'm in fourth place right now. I'm sixty million dollars behind. Uh, so that's not too bad. Um, whereas five hundred ninety-five million dollars, that's slightly less, slightly better, I guess, uh, for Raman, who is um, overall ranked one hundred forty-eighth, which is kind of low for our league, considering uh, how we how well we did in the award season, um, with two people in the top one hundred. So. Percentage, uh, perfect season percentage. No one's above 88%. We have five people at the 80% level. Uh, Badass Cineplex is the lone person in the 70% range. And then everyone else is in the 60% range, down to Derek, who is ranked 19th. Nobody in the top five for BPs of the season got the best performer this week. So that remains unchanged. No one got a perfect Cineplex. Raman won the week. That's their third week one. And, uh, the most number of weeks won in a season is five, held by Plexi and Keel Music jointly. And uh, Rahman has seven weeks to go to tie that record or maybe surpass it if things go their way. Uh, we'll see if that bears out. And uh, this is the fourth week that Rahman has been in the lead. And they tie Swagner for total number of weeks in the lead at four and pass by Director's Cut, who is currently ranked second and just $1.8 million behind Raman. So the margin of error is very tiny. The top four are all within $12 million of each other with Perksplex another $22 million behind that. So not much movement at the top, a little bit of movement in the middle, and uh, we move on to now, uh, week seven. Uh, and week seven will feature the opening of the Rock in Rampage, as well as a new horror movie, Tr Truth or Dare, from Blumhouse. We'll see uh, how much Truth or Dare affects A Quiet Place and vice versa, and how much Rampage can make money. It's The Rock, so could be big, uh, but we'll have to see just how big. Um, yeah, and that's going to be it. That's today's episode uh thank you so much for listening to all of this stuff rampage unsane and fantasy movie league stuff uh we did a lot in a short amount of time so it's a little cramped but hopefully that's not too bad if you would like to write in the show you can do that circleoffilm at gmail.com or you can find me on twitter at circleoffilm you can also check out the website circleoffilm.com for plenty of other things going on uh like stats and other episodes and whatnot or you can support the show if you so choose if you are feeling uh, financially benevolent uh, at patreon.com slash circle of film thank you once again for listening and as always have a week so long farewell i'll be the same tonight i know she'll never Even as she fades from view So long, farewell, I'll be to say that you In the name of love One night in the name of love So long, farewell, oh what I'll be to say Wait a minute Wait a minute Wait a minute So long